Listener Production. You are listening to episode 25 of the Howie Games Artist Series Part B featuring rock and roller Tex Perkins. Do not forget Universal Music have recently released The Cruel Sea. The Honeymoon is over on vinyl for the very first time. What a great way to listen to it. Get your mitts on it. Roll. When was the first time you're in the car or you're at home and I ask this to every singer that comes on because I love this. Some recall, some are like, oh, I don't really recall. When you heard yourself on the radio, a band you're in, there's like you're listening to whatever and then, well, that's my song on the radio. Well, I guess it would have been community radio or something like that. Um, uh, maybe Double J. Okay. You know, back in the day. Uh, and what's that, Triple J. what's that like? We talked about right at the start, the connection when people come up. What's it like well, when you... I can't remember the first time, but yep. I remember... I remember it becoming quite uncomfortable, well, like quickly. Like, what, what was uh, uncomfortable about it? I don't know. Well, picture this. You go to a cafe and there's music playing and then it stops and then your music comes on. <laughs> I'm liking it. Well, you know, like, it's like I'm trying to have a fucking lunch <laughs> and suddenly it's all about me and suddenly, suddenly you go, okay, the focus is on me. <laughs> all right, okay, somebody's watching me. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. I never, yeah, yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> okay. And and because the attention's on you or do you listen to your songs critically? Like do you look back like a, a football and think, ah, oh, I could have done this or Absolutely. no? Absolutely. Um, but only only just after after you've created it. Yep. Because after That's... you've created it, you, you can't – actually, you get a bit numb and like you run out of time. So that that's it. And uh, – and yeah, and you you become numb to it because you've heard it so many times, and you lose sort of critical perspective. But yeah, a little bit down the track, you, you listen to it and go, "I wish I would have done that or that." But then, thirty years down the track, you listen to it and you just you can totally, totally almost it's not you. So what's so? It's like you, there's no sort of subjectivity. It's like you can totally listen to it for exactly what it is and not attach any sort of you know, ideas or, you know, or the fact that you've heard this, you know. So you, you can know. do that now. Like we, we well, you, with the, for instance, so, with yeah, the honeymoon is over. Like, 30 year vinyl, right. you listen to it and it's like, yeah, we rocked. Yeah, look, I, well, I hadn't heard, I mean, I've heard those, those songs and played some of those over the years, but I hadn't actually sat down and listened to the whole album for a very long time. And what was it like? I enjoyed it. I thought, yeah, it's pretty good. I can see why this worked. But I can also hear sort of, oh, that's right. It also uh, brings back sort of memories of the creating of that uh, album, which was kind of, it was pretty crazy, actually. So talk to me about that. Don't necessarily talk to me about crazy. Like, Cruel Sea comes along um, and then you are the big act. What's life? All of us, I think, well, not all of us, I'd certainly love to know the feeling. What's it like when you stand up on stage and people are shouting your name and singing along to your songs and they are completely entranced by what you're doing? Like when you're the man. There's no time for modesty, mm. Tex. What, what's that feeling I, like? Wonderful. Is it? It's, yeah, <laughs> That's the answer I was after, I think. fucking wonderful. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And does um, it hit you at a moment or is it like – But, but again, not, again, that period of – like with the cruel sea, yep. we were 
that's the the success of that album. I mean, it was it's good and everything, and we sort of we spent the time sort of polishing it a, more than we had usually with with our with our music. So we were definitely trying to sort of get it played on the radio. We 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 weren't compromising our music, but we were certainly sort of we spent a bit more time than usual sort of crafting it. Mm-hmm. So we were definitely trying to go up the ladder. Of, the recording of that album was definitely uh, a deliberate sort of, well, why can't our music be you know, popular and successful? Yes. But it was significant when it was, because uh, it was 92, 93, was like all the big bands in Australia, like Midnight Oil, In Excess, Crowded House, they kind of had their run. And they were still active then, but they weren't, they weren't kicking as many goals. Uh-huh. So we came along in this period, this gap, where those, where the, those older guys were, were sort of fading out a bit and before the next generation so came like along. So like a state of flux almost. It was like bef- just before the silver chair and all, that whole generation came through and mm-hmm. that's what the industry was all about pretty much. So we were in that, that two or three year gap in between those, you know, those eras. So, um, yeah, I've, it wouldn't have happened the way it did if it was two or three years earlier or two or three years later. The most, the bit of your book that if, if, if you said to me, Howie, ask me one question from my book, it will be this. This is the bit that I found fascinating and it's, it's far better you tell the story, but you describe being in America and going to uh, one of the late night American TV shows. I found that fascinating for so many reasons. T- tell me about that and the decisions you made around that. I, I love that story. I love um, the book, but I love that story. Yeah, I was in New York uh, with our manager and my girlfriend, Christina, and uh, uh, I'd been, done the big day out in 90, January 92 or 3. How many people are you playing in front of there? Oh, I don't know. 30, 40,000 or something. Wow, that's got to be so, good. So anyway, the, the lineup that year was uh, Iggy Pop, Nick Cave, uh, a band called Sonic Youth, yeah. uh, Mud Honey, Beasts of Bourbon and a bunch of others. And I got to know all these people. So Sonic Youth, uh, they're New York people. and uh, So we're in New York. My manager contacts Sonic Youth's manager for some other reason and and it's found out, oh, Texas is in town and I... And we get invited over to Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore's uh, apartment. And we turn up there and uh, have a few drinks. And then they say, oh, we're going to uh, Saturday Night Live. Um, Nirvana is uh, appearing on Saturday Night Live. Do you want to come? <laughs> You're a bloke from Brisbane. I love this. <laughs> you want to come? And we go, okay. <laughs> so we go along and uh, in the hall near the green room, you know, there's the the cream of the crop, you know, the, the red hot chili peppers are there. So like all of Nirvana are there and Courtney Love. And so I'm thrown into this sort of world where it's like. So are you interacting? You yeah, interacting, of- but I feel so out of my depth and like what I do not feel comfortable because here. Because the level of stardom that's in front yeah, of you the, or look, just the hype thing? Or- yeah, it was. So Kurt's I there. I don't know. Yeah, Kurt, yeah. But I, I just, um, yeah. What? I don't know. It just uh, 
maybe maybe I was a bit jet lagged or something. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't feel comfortable in uh, around that scene, and especially in America where who's this guy? <laughs> and so um, I just want to sort of shrink away and uh, yeah. But but that I, that that could have been the scene that you were going to end up in. Like if your trajectory continues, yeah, like that, that could be you. I know. For some some reason, I just didn't feel comfortable, and mm. it was like, oh, this is. I don't know. So you didn't party with Nirvana? No, and I think partying with Nirvana was a was a different different kind of thing. Pretty back short then. term solution, isn't it? I guess. <laughs> and yeah, Kurt Cobain was was dead. You know, five months later. So, so f- further to that, then Tex, I, I asked you what it's like to be on stage and people calling your name. What's it like when you're a bloke that's lived in squat houses? You're finding your way. You're playing for a stubby a beer, and then you are the man. What, what, what's it like when people, record executives, fans, offer you, give you, provide you with whatever you want at the click of your fingers? Like, ha- well, I've, n- I've never had whatever I want at the click. It, it hasn't got to that point? <laughs> no. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I would have asked for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but how do you go from, okay, how do you go from being well, the man in front of the stage to going to Woolies the next day to buy your chicken fillets? Yeah, exactly. Um I've always been that guy. You, you will see me get uh, coals. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole idea of well, that's why I guess I kind of moved to the country, which is we live. Maybe f- for those reasons, you know, like where, where are you based? I'm in northern New South Wales. Oh, right, beautiful. So, um, coastal or a bit inland? A bit inland. Oh, sort beautiful, of, mate. Lismore's probably the oh, closest. Oh, yeah, nice to that town. But uh, I, I actually. I love people saying hello because 99% of them, it's, it's really great. And people just say, hey, Tex, how you going? And I'm totally happy. Love that, you know, <laughs> the sense of being welcomed into, you know, like, say, hey, how you going? You know, and especially, especially if you go into a restaurant and they might get a better table or better, better, <laughs> better service or even, or even a free drink. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know. I um, maybe yeah. I, I think I've relaxed over the years. Maybe in the nineties, yeah. Um, I was yeah. That that big success. Uh, as I said, we we strive for it, but when when we actually got there, it was like oh, this is this is weird. Why? What's weird about it? We'd come from the underground, and to be and we'd always seen things like, hey hey, it's Saturday is. That's where daggy bands, you know, you know, that's like. Which you <laughs> went on. cool, you know. Right. <laughs> you went on. But then you're on it because I watched you with Daryl yeah. last night. He yeah. was trying to on YouTube. I was watching it. But being sort of accepted into, we were the mainstream. It, it was like we would always reveled in being, you know, kind of outsiders. Which a lot of artists do. Yeah, you strive for success. But then when you get it, it was like, um, this is not the type of success I wanted. No, this is not how I figured yeah, it out. Yeah, like, well, yeah. Grow up, you know, <laughs> yeah, grow up hair. And, uh, but, uh, I think I was probably a bit uptight about it, uh, that whole thing for a while. Um, as time has gone on, you know, um, I'm a lot more relaxed on stage. I'm more, more relaxed in general. I'm not so in- intense. And, uh, so yeah, uh, interacting with my fans is, is, is way easier. Which is, which, and, is, uh, which is great. And, you know, and again, as I said, like, 
the stories that you get told, if, if, you, if you spend a bit of time with, you know, with people and they tell you what your music has meant to them, it's really rewarding. It really uh, you know, makes you think, oh, sh- sh- this, is, you know, this, this means something. This is actually not just entertainment. It's actually you know, food for the soul. Oh, and if you can potentially make a difference to someone's life yeah, it's... through what you've created. You, you, we're talking about the height. So you get asked to um, go on tour in Australia with the Rolling Stones. I don't know. It sounds like a pretty fair gig. What, like, what's it like when you're fronting for the Rolling Stones? Like, uh, yeah, I, well, I was, my, your world is not my world, so I don't know if that means you're hanging out with Keith and Mick yeah. or you pass each other in the corridor. I'm fascinated. Well, we the first gig was at the MCG, and they had the the opening to a press conference at the MCG when we were invited. Yeah. So we're at the press conference, and then we were. <laughs> yeah, but then we, we were introduced to them, you know, officially sort of shaking hands and everything. And the first thing I Do noticed- Do they choose you? Like how- well, basically, yes, they chose us, but they chose us because we were the biggest band in the country okay, at gotcha, that time. Gotcha, Sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted. Like a year later, would have been Silverchair. Okay. But, but you got the, you, you had your gap in the market and away yeah, you go. But so anyway, you get introduced. Uh, but uh, the first thing I noticed is how small they are. <laughs> They're like five, four, five, five, like like- they're little old men, right? And you're a big band too. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've, I've shrunk a bit, <laughs> right? But uh, I was six four at the time. Yeah, I think I'm six three and a bit, man. right? But, uh, but yeah, I'm towering over, you know, Jagger and Richards, and <laughs> and that was the first, you know, kind of, I think, weird for both of us. You know, they, they, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, they look. How you going, big fella? <laughs> but uh, then. Um, the backstage area was called the Voodoo Lounge, and it, oh, that was the tour, yeah. The it, that was the tour, okay. but the backstage kind of green room, shared green room, yep. was called the Voodoo Lounge, and it had you know, a buffet, it had you know, lounges and TVs, and it had a full size billiard table, and it had some video games, you know, like like pub sort of video games. Uh-huh. You ever played Daytona? Yeah, love it, <laughs> love it. Spent far too many two dollar coins totally. on that sucker at that at that. Period of time, I was the Daytona demon. Right. <laughs> so you put your, surely you don't have to put the two bucks in. No, when you're not, on, not, not, it's not, a freebie not the with the stones. Ah. Exactly. So, uh, well, I'll tell two stories. <laughs> Please do. So, me and the drum, but Cruel C drummer Jim Elliott, uh, uh, I think we've just had a Daytona you know, game. Yeah. So we're standing near the machine. Jagger comes in and, and yeah, he does his kind of, you know, Hello, lads. How you doing? Yeah, what's up? And then, and then he looks at the machine and, and, and says, "Fancy, fancy game?" And I said, "Fuck yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king." <laughs> Pushed him out of the way, <laughs> and um, I'm well experienced. And this is the first time, yeah, Mick's had had a go at this thing. So, like, so I'm lapping him. You're Lewis Hamilton, and he's um, <laughs> he's he's Granny. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. He's, he's Granny that can't find find the keys. Right, and you're the seventh time world <laughs> so champ. I'm lapping him, and it's like. Oh Jesus! You know, like this is, and he's and he's not enjoying it. <laughs> and I'm trying to slow down and everything. So that that was that was a weird dynamic. But he, he was he was lovely. He, he was he's like a politician, you know, sort of you know gives a bit of hello, how you going, you know, just to keep everyone happy, sort of. Uh-huh. And the full size billiard table is there for uh, uh, for Keith and Ronnie. So they they're have, like genuine snooker players. Well, they ever, before every show, 
they have a game. I'm not sure what they were playing. I went over to just, you know, I was having a drink and, you know, as you do, you know, went over to have a look and stand near the table having, watching them play and I soon noticed that Keith was fucking hopeless. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Keith. And it was a bit like the Jagger thing, like, uh, like he's he's just pushing balls around the table, getting no results, <laughs> and I'm standing there watching, and you know he can feel that I'm watching, you know, and he says, and Ronnie is really good. He's okay. Like, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> and uh, it was in, at the S, maybe it was the, the SCG, and it was raining, and there was no cover on the stage, and I just sort of trying to make small talk. So, uh, what happens when it rains? Fucking stupid question. You know, like even even when it's coming out of my mouth now, what happens when it rains? <laughs> Come on, Tex, you're Keith, better than Keith that. looks up and says, you get wet. <laughs> <laughs> back to Tex shortly. We love rock stars on the Artist Series. Go back. Please go back and check out episode 15 of the Artist Series featuring singer, songwriter, a man of majestic talent, the absolute dude that is Vance Joy. What what is that feeling of being a music god, rock star, whatever <laughs> term that you will avoid using? But what is it like when you have when you're in Canada mm. and you've never met any of these people and you're a bloke from Melbourne and they are totally into what you mm. are doing? Oh, it's it's awesome. I think yeah, when you look out and you see people enjoying themselves, it um it's the best. Like I remember you know, you'll see lots of different things. You might see people singing and maybe crying. Often in a love song like I'm With You, you see couples kind of, you know, hugging or embracing or swaying to the music and having a moment basically. So that's nice. And I think the best thing that can happen to you on stage is that you get the chills and you get that uh, that same thing that happens when you write the song, which is like gets kind of, you know, that that feeling comes again, which is exciting and great and the song is fully alive. And um, you you also stop your brain thinking, which is the ultimate goal, I guess, because you don't want to be in your thoughts going, okay, next song, okay, what's that? And then you say, what am I going to say in the in the banter in between this song and this song? And it's like pre-prepared banter. Sh- shut up! Like, like, or even like even like just like the, what what should I say? And, like, should I, and should I tell them to put their phones up to get the lights? And it's like <laughs> if you can tell that guy upstairs to just be quiet, and if if you look out and they can help you do that, and you can just be in the moment, that's the ultimate goal. So. I think that's the the best thing is just being in the moment and turning the brain off. That is Vance Joy on episode 15 of the Artist Series in your feed in October 2022. Check it out. Let's get back to Tex. We're talking Mick Jagger and and you're talking because you're the biggest band in Australia, which you were. What's the what's the key to being a frontman? Like I mentioned earlier on, the the energy and your ability to engage the crowd is not just through vocals like be, be a bit specific for me here for none of us that will ever be able to do it what's the key to getting up there and being an entertaining front man where you where you can get the crowd in the palm um what do you reckon you've not only got to perform well but the best gigs are when you actually open up and interact with the audience I mean, I've done. I did a lot of gigs for a while where I just sort of, I'm looking at the back wall, you know, and just so I'm giving a great performance, but I'm not sort of, I'm not looking at anybody. But then I, I learnt to, as I said, uh, as I got went along, I relaxed more, and quite often I would interact with the audience 
vocally, the, physically? The, well, I just sort of somebody would yell out something and that's a perfect opportunity to, to you know, to say a smart-ass yeah. thing back. Yeah, everyone, you know, laugh and, you know, and that sort of thing. I think a combination of really good uh, music, passionate performance, but also showing humanity and connecting, you know, with people in between the songs. Yeah, that's uh, that's become you know, more and more important, and I'm gotten better and better at it. I think. And as you get as you get uh, older, more experienced as you go through life, um, I was listening on the way up on Spotify to Tex Perkins and the Fat Rubber Band, mm-hmm. which I was enjoying. Uh, there was a song, "I Want to Be Close to You." I want to be close to you. You know, you hear some songs, you haven't heard it before, you're listening on Spotify and for whatever reason the song grabs you and I was like, wow, I listened to the song three times. It's like, that, that's such a cool song. Like, where, where, where do you end up going as a performer now that you're, you're a long way through your musical journey? Like, do you still get better? Are you better now with yeah, the absolutely. fat rubber bands than you were with the Cruel Sea and the Beast of Bourbon? So yeah. it's not like an athlete where your physical performance eventually drops off. You can still get better at what you do now? Yeah, I how think, cool is that? Yeah, I've developed all all the skills. I've always had a, a a loud voice. I've always been loud, and I've always been you know you know I could go deep. You'd be a good voiceover man. Like you walk, you'd be a good voiceover that, man. That is my career in waiting, Howie. Well, see, this is can a, you make it happen, I, mate? They get paid <laughs> the big bucks, and I go and commentate the football. And sound like a thirteen-year-old kid on Fox, <laughs> and then you listen to Dennis Cometti on the replay, and you're like, "I'd give anything to have the ability to operate on the the base level that you do." No, there's a place for enthusiastic uh, voices I like, like yourself, teenagers <laughs> like me. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that, Dex. <laughs> but no, I, I. So you can get better, especially if, like me, I the key to staying in the game is diversification, like. The ability to do lots of different things, and actually, uh, voiceover work is something that I ha- actually have done. Like, I'm like, done, you'd be a king I've, at it. I've done quite a few ads. Have you? Um, what, what ad? Give me an ad. We'll find it okay, on YouTube. Well, my ad crew. I've done a lot of documentaries, mainly. So, uh, well, not a lot. But, you know, probably half a dozen. But uh, I really enjoy it. I really enjoyed doing ads, and I really enjoyed being directed. Yes. Like, uh, you know, can you can you give yeah. it? Can you give it? Give us a little bit more of this, and you're like, and you, know, you adjust you know, your delivery. What, like you anyway, advertising chocolates or mobile phones? Well, okay, or? well, I've done a, a few things, but I had a run with Holden. Did you? Like about twelve years ago. I see. I, the, I, I'd buy a Ute from you. I'd buy. A, okay, well, the Holden Colorado. See, that's you. Yeah. I'm buying the Colorado <laughs> off you. Two ton of pulling power. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm sold. How much are they? Where but, do I get one? But yeah, I gave that voice. Yeah, right. you know, the, the whole in Colorado. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I, so I did that. I think is there a Barina or, yeah. or, or, or yeah, some? Oh, it's some, a Barina's Holden. A small car. It was like so. It was sort of. I think that's more me. Get yeah, yourself exactly, in a zippy exactly. Barina. <laughs> oh, so I had to be sort of. Uh, oh, hey, yeah, a Barina. Yeah, you can go out on the weekend. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> 
So, so this show typically has has ads around it, and I do my best. But I, maybe we can employ you just as the the voiceover man for the ads on the Howie Games because I would love. That. I think more product would sell. <laughs> I would love. We're that. talking about cars. We were doing for one for Mazda before, and Tommy, the great producer. And now a word from our sponsors. Well, that's right. That's what we need. That that's going to be my lead my lead in, mate. There's so much I, I could talk to you about. Um, I've got a 13-year-old and 11-year-old, mm-hmm. and we're just starting to have discussions at home with my delightful wife, Erica, about when do we start explaining to them pitfalls, issues, right. drugs, mm. teenage pregnancy, mental health, which I must say in school now, it's, 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 it's really good in school now. It's really, it's very different to the experiences you were describing. But you, how many kids have you got? I've had five. Okay. So my oldest is 30, nearly 33. Okay. So I've got 33, nearly 33, 28, and 19. They're all girls. Yep. And then I've got a 12-year-old son and a 9-year-old son. Okay. So this, this is great for you because you can answer my question because well, you've when do you Well, when do you start you know, telling them about the, the real, the, the big bad world? Well, and, how, and like, yeah, and how have you approached it, a man that is imbibed the big bad world? See the introduction of your book, Kids Don't Read Now. So you've, you've seen it all. You've done it all. You've seen mates do it all. How, how have you approached this with your kids? Um, you just got to keep an eye on I think it's case by case. There's no sort of set. I think there's no need to tell them, you know, about stuff before it's relevant to them. Yeah. Yeah. You don't go to too early is, is very bad. Right. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> but you just got to keep an eye on them, I think. Uh, yeah. They're all – and with the girls, I don't know what – the that the generation that we created seems to look at us and go, uh, uh, no, I don't want that. Okay. <laughs> and they see our, I know, without sort of telling them all, yeah, all the nitty gritty of what we, you know, we uh, did when we were sort of, you know, well, yeah, we're young. If yeah. they'd read your book, they're going to have a fair understanding of your fair text. So, so but, uh, still very supportive of them um, in all sorts of ways. 30 years, Cruel Sea, Vinyl, um, which is a beautiful thing. And I think the fact that your songs still resonate with so many different audiences is fantastic. And you say people come up to you. You've you've achieved success in a really um, dynamic but potentially dangerous occupation, being a lead singer of a rock and roll band. So Mm. we have all sorts listening to this podcast. And ostensibly, the whole aim of it, Tex, is to give people an understanding of how successful people have got to where they are. And this, as a father, there's more weight to this question you should understand. If I asked you this 25 years ago and you haven't got kids, you'd probably be blasé about it. But what advice would you give from the success you've had to those that are trying to achieve success in their field from from what you've learned over the journey? Don't try and achieve success. (laughs) Just find yourself in something that you love. That's it. And every everything else is cream. Yeah, everything else is extra. But if, if you've got a job that you love, or you know, a career that you essentially you know, is creative and uh, and 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 stimulating, yeah, and yeah, you're already on a winner. So, like, I think the the more love you put into something like that, the better the art becomes, and. And yeah, the success kind of just is a is a you know symptom of that. A byproduct. It's a byproduct of that. 
it's really about I just I just love creating music. It's I'm I've, I've been doing it for you know over forty years now, and still absolutely fascinated with the creative process of how you know you can have this skerrick of an idea, and then you explain it to another musician, and suddenly oh, it's a, it's this, and then you bring in some other people, or or you have another idea, and the and then it's that, and then then you record it, and you're like oh my god, listen to this, and it's, you know it didn't exist three hours ago. Mm. And then it's just this beautiful thing that then has a life of its own. And it has, you know, I, I, I especially experienced that. I think, I, as I say, I, I, the, the further I go along, the more I appreciate the whole thing. And, uh, and that, the recording of that last uh, Fat Rubber Band album, yeah. there was, it really was kind of magical to me because that what I just explained that that process of this you know flimsy idea becoming flesh you know becoming a real thing that ha- holds emotion and and it just I don't know it, it's a gift it's it's almost like it's kind of handed it hand to you from above mm. yeah I've been doing this for over 40 years and I'm s- still I'm not jaded by that I'm I'm st- absolutely seduced by that process, the creative process where something doesn't exist, then it does. And, and you've helped, you know, bring it to life. And also it's just the connection you have with other musicians. Things happen that you didn't think of. You might have an idea, but you know, you're not locked into this. Uh, that's another secret of mine. I'm not locked into any idea. I have an idea about something. This could be good. This could go somewhere but I'm not sort of focused on where I want it to end up. It's just where it naturally wants to go. I mean, in a way, it's the kind of path of least resistance. It's like it's, it's water. It finds, it finds its way. It gets there and it gets to places they didn't expect. And I'm just still fascinated with that. It's a great answer. I ask this to every singer. I should have asked you beforehand. So... Feel free to say no, and we cut it out. <laughs> Ask to every singer because I'm blown away by people that can sing. I, I was talking to Anthony Clear about this. Like, if I look at people that can do things I can't do, I have much more appreciation of that. Would you be yeah. able to sing now a few lines of any song? Just here, you or me. It, like it's, I've done it before, and it's really intimate. It's a bit weird, but I love it. Okay, well... The last time I did something like this, like yep. sing in a room where there is no music, yeah, was on my mother's deathbed. Ah, it's all right. Um, and we're all gathered around. Yeah, we were sort of doing shifts. You know, and uh, someone suggested that I I sing to mum, and. Uh, yeah, there's no, no backing music, but uh, I sang a song called Woman with Soul. Okay. And uh, it's, on, it's on The Honeymoon Is Over. So uh, without choking up. Yeah. Um, you stood by me in my darkest hour. You give all of yourself in my time of sorrow. When I was down. 
in bad times. You come to me in the night and you ease my mind. And I've got to tell the world I know there ain't nothing like a woman with soul. I'm here to tell the people I know there ain't nothing like a woman with soul. That's a really good gift you've given me, so thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank and you. to our audience, um, it blows me away. I think we've got past someone that hasn't looked in you, eye, you in the eye and just read off notes. I hope this has been as much fun for you Absolutely. as it has for me. Thanks Absolutely. for singing. Can, I love it. Can we do this again? We can. Anytime you want. I reckon we could riff on just about anything. And, you know, we'll get you in here next week to read the next promo we've got coming up. So we're all good. We play bugger all, though, but it'll be a beautiful ad, Tex. Thanks for joining me. Bugger all will do. (laughs) Tex, a man that has lived and, be fair to say, continues to live a very full life. Now, Tex is currently touring. Jump on his website at texperkins.com. There are gigs galore, including reuniting with the Cruel Sea. Until next time, peace and love. <laughs>